and welcome to Man Enough. I hope you enjoyed Jamie Heath for the We're last keeping that. 10 seconds. Yeah. I don't know uh, I went into, I lost myself somewhere. Yeah. Well, you have a beautiful voice. <laughs> uh, I'm Justin Beltoni. I'm Liz Plank. And you already heard Jamie Heath, that baritone voice. Uh, we got a special special episode today yes we do um, how do you feel about it liz um, i mean who do we have why don't you tell us who we have tony porter why do you love tony porter i love so tony much? porter because he's the <laughs> co-founder with ted bunch of my favorite organization uh, a call to men a call to men they are like, just the model uh in, in terms of from my perspective of of the work that's being done in healthy masculinity mm. and, like in america right now the leaders so they're mm. just doing incredible work and it's a uh, great endorsement and tony and ted were so gracious um when I was nervous and wanting to not do my TED talk, um, <gasps> right. I had a chat with them and they encouraged me and um, mm. coached me in some ways and uh. gave me some things to think about. And I was just collecting info and data from all the mm-hmm. powerful, wonderful men. And, and they just welcomed me into this, you know, this man boy club, whatever mm-hmm. we are that are do, that's doing this work. And, and my, and normally you're, I'm not welcomed in. Like normally, like my experience with like these uh, these these clubs, if you will, it's very hard to break in. These guys mm. were like, "Oh, you want to use your platform to talk about healthy masculinity? Come on in, brother. Let's let's mm. talk." And I was just like, "What, really?" Mm. And so I um, Good. I bow down to them and their work. I cannot wait for this episode. Well, let's get into it. Let's do it. I know, let's have and I come. Are be geeking out a little mm-hmm. bit. A little bit. All right, we'll be right back. This is Man Enough. Hello and welcome back to Man Enough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my brother Tony Porter is here. Good to be with you. Good to be with oh, you. Oh man, good to see you again. A uh, man yeah. who needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyways. Uh, personal friend I, and, and mentor in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I just, before Liz reads your amazing bio, I just want to say thank you for welcoming me into this space of masculinity. And as I was finding my voice, encourage you encouraged mm-hmm. me to speak up. You welcomed me in like a father, brother, who's you've been doing this work for years. Mm-hmm. And I was this kid who was just like, I think I think I care and I want to help. And you said, here, here's how you can help. And I really appreciate you. And we needed you desperately, man. We need men with influence, men with platforms. You know, because you can expedite. You have the ability to expedite, which will take me years, and mm. I don't have that many, right? <laughs> None of us actually do at the end of the day. So, mm. uh, and I just love what you've been doing. I love you, man. Love what oh, you've been doing, you. how you've been doing, the integrity you've brought to it, man. It's mm. beautiful. I'm here to amplify what you're already doing. Right. And if I can say, as a woman uh, in this space, thank you so much for setting the standard for how. Uh, I, I would love every man to show up in this conversation. Uh, you are my North Star uh, in oh, every possible way. I like so, that. yeah, we're really, really North honored star. to be here. Yeah, so, Liz, Liz and I are very excited. We're geeking out. Uh, Tony Parter is the co founder of the anti violence organization. You should all give even a single penny, whatever you have, whatever you can give to. Give, a give, call give, to give, men. give. 
it's such an important organization that does such important work. It's an organization that helps educate men and teach them about healthy masculinity. Um, you're an activist, you're a lecturer, you're an author. You've been advocating for this shit for more than 20 years. All right. <laughs> mm -hmm. His TED talk, like it looks like it was taped like on a v VHS. Like it's like it's not it's like before we actually did this. Um, he was talking about this. You are an advisor for the National Football League, the NFL. You're a consultant for the National Basketball Association and you've worked with several national, international programs, colleges, universities to prevent domestic violence and sexual assault, all while encouraging men to lead a healthy and respectful life. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Liz. Good to be in your space, sister, as well. Mm. Oh, I mean, this makes me so happy. So good. And uh, and we went, I mean, we go back, We the, the three of us, Jamie, uh, Tony, and I, we did a special episode of Man Enough mm -hmm. for... It's just before my TED talk, a little over four and a half years ago, mm -hmm. right at the height of the resurgence of the Me Too movie. Yep, that's mm -hmm. right. And uh, and we have not been in the same the same space, shared space since then. So, in it's fact, just... it was that episode with my own transgressions in life and how I have uh, not been on the right side of treating women. Uh, that episode that we had done together, and in your presence. And I felt most safe to do it publicly because mm -hmm. you were there to admit and acknowledge um, my, you know, my, my contribution to the the, the bad side, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to Darth Vader, really, that, that that got a hold of me, and uh, I really felt safe because of you being there um, and the work that you do, and you know, seeing you show up mm -hmm. gave me permission to also show up publicly. Yeah, and I, I remember it well, and that was also a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and that's key also to, uh, you know, if we want to get men on this journey, those of us who are taking leadership in this space, transparency is required, right? We have to be vulnerable. We have to be transparent if we're asking other men to, mm -hmm. to join us, right? We can't just get in the space and say, come on. No, we, we got to show up. And showing up is vulnerability. Showing up is transparency. You know, because at the end of the day, it's about transforming men. So, like, what you were doing in that space, Jamie, is an example of what we call reaching in and grabbing the hearts of men. Because the way you were sharing, the way you showed up, is not like what men are hearing or digesting up here. You were all up in here. Whether they wanted to let you in or not, you kind of cracked them open, you know. I'm not saying they cracked themselves open and said, come on in my heart. Jamie, but their heart just cracked open whether they wanted it to or not, you know, because mm. uh, the stuff you were sharing, everybody in the room can identify with. Mm. But you were making a decision to be transparent and vulnerable. And that's how we believe you engage men, mm -hmm. right? It's not an academic experience. We believe in academia, and, you know, they, they support us in a whole bunch of ways, but it's transformation, right? Mm -hmm. And that means the hearts of men. And we yes, believe sir. that's where this thing will have an opportunity to last forever if we get into the hearts of men. <laughs> yeah. Which yes, ironically sir. is the very thing we as men are taught to stay away from. Mm. We're not allowed to be in our hearts because mm -hmm. our hearts hold our humanity. And what is our humanity? Save our feelings mm -hmm. and emotions and sensitivities and intuition and all of those things. But real quick, we're going to we're not going to treat you just like an expert today. We're going to treat you also like a guest. And we ask all of our guests this question to start. Go ahead. When was the last time Tony Porter did not feel 
enough. When was the last time Tony Porter did not feel enough? That's an interesting question, man. That's deep. You didn't tell me that coming into here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just said we got to lead by example. <laughs> That's right. I, you know what? I, I got some stuff going on uh, in my family with my sister who's healing from uh, some surgeries, and I'm, I'm banging heads with some other people in the family and how they're showing up. Uh, I also feel like I'm trying to control some stuff that I can't control. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting experience because they're hearing me and they're respecting what I'm saying, but they're not doing the damn thing I'm asking. Mm. You know, so that's paining me. I don't know if that's answering your question or not, because I'm not even sure how to really at the moment wrap myself around that. Mm. But I like I'm one of the leaders in my family, my immediate mm. family, extended family. I don't have many men yeah. in my family, uh, more women than men. And so I'm looked to in a certain way. And this is my sister. Mm. And I remind her children, I remind everybody that I know she's your mother. I know she, that she's my sister. She's my baby sister. Mm. And... Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to make some things happen that are not happening. And uh, it's hurting me. Mm. It's, it's bothering me quite a bit. And, uh, and I can't control it. Mm. I can't force my will on it. And uh, mm. So there's even maybe a part of you when you can't control something. Yeah, maybe you and, don't feel enough. Oh, it's no quite, it's that, and it's that patriarch in me. Yeah. You know, that... Uh, and, and even the word patriarchy, right? It's Latin for, you know, apartheid father, archi rule, right? And I ain't ruling nothing here. You mm. know what I mean? So that's, that's been happening for me. And, and that's one thing that immediately comes in my mind when you ask that well, that's question. It. That's, you know? that's the right answer. Uh, not being able to make something happen that I not only feel righteous about, I feel it's just and all of that, and I can't impose my will, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's not like just, you know, some, you know, little bullshit is, is really, yeah. really important, and I still can't impose my will. I think it's so important yeah. to, like, when I hear Tony say these things, and for you listeners out there, you know, Tony's been doing this work for 30? 25 25 years, years now. Mm-hmm. And... It just goes to show you can be an expert and a teacher and a mentor. And as you said, like the patriarchy still exists in you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't just go away. No, it does. And, and part of it also, man, I, I like the way it feels. I like what I represent. I like how I show up. I, 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 I like being a go-to person in my family, mm. you know? I, I like being in a position to be a go-to person in my family uh, because historically the, within my family, uh, it's been primarily women have been the go-to person. Mm. 
So as I've grown as to one of the senior members of my family, I'm a go-to person. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like my home being a place that folks can come and gather or can say, you know, I, I need some place to stay. And yeah, we got extra bedrooms. Pick one. I like I like being in mm -hmm. that position. I probably want to just say I'm just a leader in my family and just kind of maybe uh, take gender out of it. But part of it is being a man, too. Mm -hmm. Part of it is being a man. You know, even within the women in my family, things will go down. A lot of things they'll say, they call me Anthony, right? They say, don't tell Anthony, don't tell him. He's busy with this, he's busy with that. Don't tell him, don't tell him, don't bother him until shit hits the fan and then it's like, tell Anthony, right? <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't you tell me earlier? But I kind of like the fact that they don't tell me stuff. They handle stuff. I, I think I like that. I, I, when I allow myself to think about it, I think I enjoy that they come to me when they need me to handle it. You does know? it make you feel powerful? It probably does, whether I want to admit that or not. <laughs> it makes me feel important. There's not many places in my life I don't provide leadership. Mm. You know, so uh huh. it's gotta be hard too. Yeah, though. so it it is hard, but it's also important to uh know that and to humble myself. One of the greatest joys I have in church, which I don't get to do now, obviously because of the pandemic, is we would like do different things for seniors and stuff like that and to wait on them, you know to take their plates to them, mm. to take their plates and clean up. You don't have to get up, to move around the room with a garbage can and just clean up. You mm. know, you got people, nasty shit, but just got gloves on and just cleaning it up. Yeah. To like get in the background like that and mm. serve people. You know what I mean? Things like that, those opportunities. I, I grab a hold of a lot of those opportunities because in most spaces that I'm in, I'm in leadership. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't I don't I'm not in the background too often. Mm. And uh, that's something. And I have to in some respects, I have to create those spaces for myself. Mm. You're listening to the Mad Enough podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough podcast. So where's that line for us men where it's OK, I I feel powerful. I feel good when. People come to me when I'm the boss, when I'm the CEO, when I'm in positions of power. And you are wise enough to know you humble yourself in areas of service. But there's a line that most men are not aware of, I would say. Well, most men, uh, we're kind of on remote control. You know, we're just doing life, you know. And, and in many cases, that remote control, we're doing tradition also, right? Whatever mm -hmm. tradition has been passed down to us, we're just doing it. And a lot of socialization teaches us to be in charge, to be in control. We, we couch a lot of stuff in being a protector, holding it down, making it happen, all of that kind of stuff. But there's also a lot going on for us that's, you know, that's not being addressed, right? In that same teaching, right? Because in that teaching, it says men don't ask for help, men don't offer help, men don't accept help because men are supposed to do it, right? Make it happen. That comes in that teaching also. In that teaching, you know, as we talk about, you know, with the man box, right? We don't talk about our feelings, our emotions. We just on the move, making it happen. You know, we're, you know, we're crisis driven. Something's going down. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to fix it, right? Like even in our homes with traditional gender roles, right? 
Women are making things happen every day. Our job is to show up if something needs to be fixed. You know, if there's a leak on the roof, that's our job. If the water heater goes out, that's our job. And then it and, and what it translates into is if what we're doing is more important, even though they're on the move every day, you know. You know, your wife or partner could come home from work, go right into the kitchen and never get to the bedroom till ten o'clock at night. And that's like a daily thing for her. But our job is to step up in crises, right? Make something happen. You know, so it, so on the outside, a lot of it looks good. And I'm not saying necessarily that is bad, but it's a toll for men. It takes a toll on us, right? You know, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's just, you know, uh, not going said that, you know, suicide rates amongst men is three and a half times higher than women, right? There's something about that. This whole thing about not asking for help, offering help, accepting help, we don't practice preventative medicine as men, right? They say even when we go to the doctor, I'm saying they say, but I've done this shit. <laughs> even when we go to the doctor, and first of all, we'll go to the doctor more often if we're partnered with somebody. If we're not partnered with somebody that's pushing us there, or we're also less likely to go. But even when we go... <laughs> You both probably have done this. <laughs> Even when we go, we don't tell them everything that's going on. You sitting in there in front of the doctor, mm. and you went there because you're not feeling good, and you're still shading some of what's actually going on with you. You're not giving him or her 100% of what's actually happening. God forbid the doctor finds out that we're weak. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy, but, we, but men do that so this whole handle your business <laughs> kind of atmosphere or not atmosphere socialization that we're, mm. we're, we're in is hurting us too mm. man mm. and the flip side of that for mm. you know of patriarchy that encourages men not to ask for help when they go to the doctor or not say what pain they're in is that women and particularly women of color go to the doctor they say what pain they're in and they're not believed yeah right oh, or they're not given yeah. right and we have so many examples of women you know serena williams right like not being believed mm -hmm. um and that's kind of what i want to pivot to you know uh, this whole podcast is about talking about our shortcomings right the first question we ask you is when did, is the last time you didn't feel enough so i want to talk about mine I don't think I do a good job of bringing up women of color in this podcast. I don't think that we do a good job of talking about women of color in this podcast, mm. particularly black women. Uh, and so when I knew you were coming on, I couldn't think of a better person mm -hmm. <laughs> to talk about this with and to just highlight the incredible force that is black women. I mean, always in this country from its inception, but especially in the last few months with our Kelly survivors uh, coming out and you know, having a huge win in the courts. Um, I mean, win in big quotation marks, because what, you know, what is a win for a survivor who's been put mm. through that? But Simone Biles with Larry Nessar and even her, her whole experience of being truthful about <laughs> her limits uh, at the Olympic Games, right? And, and getting all of this backlash. When what she was saying was kind of standing up to this patriarchal notion, right? That you shouldn't be clear about what your mm -hmm. limits are and, and, and how you're, you know, physically feeling. So I just would love to know... Um, why, I mean, I kind of know why we don't talk about black women enough and we don't um, realize uh, that 
literally, you know, it's the Compahee River Collective. It's Barbara Smith. This has been said before, but I think we all agree with the fact that if we don't free, you know, when black women are free, then we'll all be free. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that like more common knowledge? Why aren't there more men generally fighting with black women for their freedom? Um, and what can men do who are listening or all of us, white women included, anyone listening? The people at the how table can they show here up? also, yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. I, well, let's, first of all, I appreciate you putting that into the conversation. And, uh, you know, and it's one of the reasons why we believe we can no longer just talk about racism without talking about white supremacy culture and anti-blackness. I appreciate that you centered the experience of black women because you could have said women of color and we probably would have got around that, mm -hmm. right? Because there's so much of, of just what you said that's also the experience of women of color in general. Mm -hmm. But the reason why we need to highlight and center the experience of black women is because of the impact of anti-blackness. Right. And, th and that does not get into the conversation often mm -hmm. enough. Anti-blackness. What does that actually mean in respect to a race construct? Right. So at a call to men, we talk about women in the margins of the margin. So we know there's mm -hmm. the marginalization of women. Right. And then there's the experience of those in the margins or the margin. Actually, mm -hmm. we're about to uh, take part in a project with black trans women. Right a real example of women in the margins of the margins. So we have been, I have been very, very intentional in centering their experiences in most, if not all, conversations uh, because we talk a lot about less value, right? So at A Call to Men, we talk a lot about three aspects of manhood uh, that if men can gather around, we can ha we can make a huge dent in violence against women and girls. And that's if we can begin to pay attention to how we're taught to have less value in women, to view women as the property of men, and to view women as objects, particularly sexual objects. We see those as three aspects of manhood that if we address, mm -hmm. right, how we are socialized to support that, even though we don't perpetrate the actual violence or uh, the I mean, violence, so we really expand our definition of violence. Right. That's a whole nother conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. But what we define as violence, that if, if, if we as men really address those three aspects of manhood, we can really begin to challenge in a much more deeper, intentional way men who are violent. So, but when you think about less value against white women, what would that look like and how, and how is that value even lessened? when we're talking about women of color and then more so less when we're talking about black women. And as the value lessens, the incidence of violence increase, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I was on a, with some folks uh, at an event and they began to celebrate women having the right to vote for a uh, hundred years, yeah. right? And then I have to remind them, well, what women are you Which talking women, about? Yeah. Right? Because we're in 1965 and we're still fucking counting marbles in a jar mm. to be mm -hmm. able to vote, right? They were offended a little bit by what I said, but they knew what I said was true. It was more so that they was caught off guard yeah. by what they had said. 
And it's because we invisibilize the experience of black women as well. So we'll talk about women make 80 cents to the dollar for men, men for the same job. We all have heard that stat. Probably nobody that hasn't heard that stat was about 65 cents to a dollar for black women. Mm-hmm. And brown women are in that space as well. But, you know, we, many of our statistics mm-hmm. that we use to support our positions is built around mainstream, which means white women. And so we consistently invisibilize mm-hmm. black and brown women, right? Mm-hmm. And when you add anti-blackness to that, which mm-hmm. is like rooted into the fabric of our nation, you, you have to go deeper than just looking at brown women cause brown, or brown people. Because mm-hmm. brown people have their own experience in anti-blackness, right? Mm-hmm. You speak to any uh, Latin group, uh, Asian group, and they'll all... I, I even speak to some of my indigenous brothers and sisters, and they can all tell you about yeah. how anti-blackness plays out in their cultural mm-hmm. groups, right? Uh, various groups where people can be white passing and, and, and how they make use of that or not, you mm-hmm. know? I even think about, I think it was the 2005 census where the Latinx community had became the largest quote-unquote minority group, surpassing black folks. We've been about 12% of the population mm-hmm almost since the time we were critical mass on these shores. Latinx community, we all know, is the largest growing group of brown people in this country. But the moment they surpassed black folks, that next census, they had to select between, it never was in the census census before with the Latinx community, but now they had to choose between being white Hispanic or black Hispanic, immediately to divide that group, (laughs) right? 85% 85% chose white Hispanic, right? I, I ain't mad at them. I get it, right? I get it. But it, it speaks to the impact of anti-blackness that is mm-hmm. not just a uh, an experience around uh, white supremacy culture and racism, but it's also seeped throughout, you know, brown people mm-hmm. uh, in our quest just to you know, have a quality of life. Yeah. Who wants to be black Yeah. in a quest to have a quality of life, mm. you know? In the makeup of this, our country, mm. you know, which I I comfortably call at when needed a race construct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it makes sense that black women have been invisibilized. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you putting it on the table, Liz, and I appreciate... Justin, you saying us too, we got work to do in this space. And I would really encourage you to look at where you can use your influence and platform to really center their experiences. And if we center their experiences, we're working on behalf of all women, mm-hmm. if that's our goal. Yeah. Right? The the problem is when we address things from this this quote unquote neutral space and just say women. Well, anything neutral mm-hmm. in the United States of America is going to best benefit white people. Yeah. Because ne- wow. first of all, there's no neutral. That's right. Right? There is yeah. no neutral. So if we operate as if there's a neutral, it's going to best benefit white folks, right? So we have to be intentional, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so if we intentionally center the experience of black women, mm-hmm. everybody, like, it, it, you know, in, envision a circle and at the center is black women. If we intentionally focus on them and work our way out, 
everybody benefits. Mm -hmm. But far too often by trying to operate from a neutral place, we're on the outer circle and we never get inside to them. And and I I think most men don't realize, and most white men particularly don't realize that their liberation is tied with black women. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think that they... Actually, and, and we don't do a good job as a, as a society to teach well, and educate. Well, that's actually, most men don't think about their liberation at all. Uh, right. Exactly. You listen to the Man of Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. Welcome to the Man of Podcast. Well, I wanted to ask you based on what you just yeah. said and what you were saying. So a lot of our listeners may not have a black woman friend, right? They might be someone that lives in uh, Maine. New Hampshire or something mm-hmm. and living where they live. Why what you just said? Why does that matter to them? Because there are there are men that are listening to this that care about being different in terms of their And man, a lot of women are listening manhood. to this. And a lot of mm-hmm. women, yeah. right? But being that we are talking about toxic masculinity or 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 the toxicity of right. what what we can become as men unless you know discussed and checked. Um there are men that are say living in an area where their coworkers are white and everything they do is white and their family's white and they're not really having an experience with black women. Mm-hmm. So they're listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, well that doesn't apply to me. So then they turn off. Why would we say to them, no, no, listen, this matters to you, even though that's not right in your midst. Yeah. Why does that matter? And how would you say that as if they were, tw- if we are a twelve year old? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's about humanity, though, man. You know, is 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 less about my circle of people, I can get that. This is my circle of people, but, you know, uh, I'm reaching for people who have an interest and an investment in humanity, not my people, but we as a people, right? So when I'm talking to uh, men for the most part about the experience of black trans women, you know, I, I don't want to have a conversation around their gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to have a conversation necessarily around their sexual orientation or diversity or who they choose to sleep with or who not, or what, which is really none of your fucking business. But if we, that, that really means very little to me. What more I want to gather from you is uh, I, I want to know if you're willing to embrace their humanity. Embrace, you know, embrace their right to exist hmm. and embrace their right to have the same quality of life that you have, right? I, that's that's the conversation I want to have. Because I hear you though, also, Justin, as you as well as Liz, yeah, on, on some level, a white man is not free until a black woman is free, right? But it's really based on how he, he defines freedom. Because if he's defining freedom from an external perspective or materialistic mm-hmm. perspective, he's doing just fine. Mm-hmm. And he can say, I'm good over here. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But if he's defining freedom, you know, from his soul, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and what it means to be, you know, in line with each other from that perspective, well, then he's jammed up. He's locked down. He's in prison in many respects. So, uh, so I don't know, it's, it's complicated, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not an it's not easy Yeah. It's not an easy conversation or even, you know, uh, easy in respect to solutions. Can, can, can we just can we just go back? Because, you know, this is just making me think. I oftentimes try to place myself in the seat of the listener a year ago, two years ago. Hell, sometimes three months ago. Like a joke, like, you know, pre-aloke and post-aloke <laughs> as an example. You know, what? Just it's just... Uh, PA. PA. <laughs> and... I can't imagine 
25, 20, 18, 30-year-old Justin, even comprehending parts of this conversation because of my privilege. Um, and, the, and the deeper you go, the more layers there are. And, um, and I just kind of want to try to, how do, we, how do we bring this back to that awareness, that, that idea that we don't even recognize or realize that we are not free? Um, where does that tie into the man box? Because to me, if you don't even understand there's a man box mm -hmm. and that you're in it mm -hmm. and that you are in prison in this man box, mm -hmm. how the hell are you going to ever be able to comprehend your liberation being tied, not just to women, but to black women? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. So, so yeah. if we can 12-year-old yeah. it yeah, to yeah, the yeah. man box, I'm which is a that. term that you guys coined. Yeah. Yeah, so if you think about that box, right, and, and it's a box that has all the ingredients in it that define what it means to be a man, be tough, be aggressive, be athletic, you know, hold it down, like we said, be a protector, uh, you know, uh, don't show no feeling except for anger, you know, yeah. uh, money, everything's about power in that box, right? It's all about power. Like I said earlier, don't yeah. ask for help, offer help, accept help, you know? View women as less value, property, objects, you know. Don't be too nice. Don't be too kind. Don't be too gentle. Don't be too caring. Don't be too much. Anything that might get put you on a slippery slope to appearing weak, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's in this box. Also, what this box teaches is don't be your authentic self, Yeah. yeah. right? Uh, define manhood by distancing ourselves from the experience of women and girls, right? It's really... That basic, if women can do this, we can. If women can do that, we can, right? Have very limited interest in the experience of women and girls outside of sexual conquest. Of course, you can love and care about all the women in your circle, but outside of that, don't have this, you know, interest, right? Yeah. That, that, that's why, you know. Can't be friends. Can't just be friends with her. You can't just be friends. You know, you can't take a woman's studies course in college. You can't do anything that says, I'm just interested in knowing their world. You can't do any of that because any of that lends toward your manhood being challenged. So we got these rigid, rigid notions, this real robotic experience of what it means to be a man. Very, very little room just to be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. That's what this box requires. And, you know, sometimes we want to say women hold us in the box. Nah, men, we hold each other in this box, right? This is a standard that we prescribe for each other. We lock each other down. So we are being held hostage, mm. right? And, you know, many of us don't know we're being held hostage, so we're just on remote control in the box. Yeah. But then there are those of us who begin to get a sense that there's something different or there's something more for me. Or I want to be more authentic. Or I, I want to do this. Or I want to do that. Right? And now we know we're being held hostage. That's when we really begin to know. And particularly as we mature as men, some of us, you know, as we get older, uh, a lot of the stuff that we ran wild when we was younger, we're not even doing anymore. So, but that's where that term "oh, he's gone soft" is. Yeah. That, right. As we get soft, older, we go soft. We go soft. You know, he's older, getting soft, you know, he's getting weaker. He can't, yeah. you know, you start accepting limitations, right? But for young men, it's very, very difficult to acknowledge, 
you know, that they're being held hostage, mm -hmm. first of all, just to acknowledge it, <laughs> but then second to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. It's going to be me, right? I'm stepping outside it. So for many of us, to your point, Justin, you know, before we can really grapple with understanding freedom, you know, that I'm not free until a black woman is free, to understand that is really to first grapple with just the freedom of, you know, of just being yourself, just mm -hmm. to be authentic. If you can get to that freedom of being authentic, then you probably have a better path to then understanding what that means in relationship to other people who are experiencing marginalization. But right now, you know, I, I, I do, you're 100% right. We got to address how we're locked down in this box, man, and how we hold each other hostage to it. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. So how do we how do we get how do we figure it out? What what are you what are you teaching? Because you're going into NFL training camps and colleges and mm -hmm. high schools, right? You're dealing with men who are alpha male athletes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, how how do you get to these men and help them realize they're living in the matrix? We're teaching them and helping them to understand how the box is not working for us. How it's tripping us up. So, so how's it tripping us up? In many ways, uh, when you think about men in trauma, for example, we know one out of four women are sexually assaulted, but we also know one out of six men are sexually assaulted. The difference with women, while there is a concentration between 16 and 24, it actually crosses their lifespan. The average age of a girl who's sex trafficked is 13. Mm. So it crosses their lifespan. We know 90-year-old mm. women in nursing homes who are sexually assaulted. Mm. With men... Is a concentration, not all, because it definitely happens across mm -hmm. the lifespan, but it's a huge concentration between zero and 18 that is sexually assaulted. You probably can't put 25 men together and none of them have been sexually assaulted. But we don't talk about it, right? We're taught that if that does happen, it's probably a reflection of how we showed up as a man, so it was on us. Yeah. So we're taught to take stuff like that to our grave. You know, I used to be a social worker before I did the work of a call to men. And I can't tell you the number of men that would come into treatment, you know, uh, 35, 40 years old, and they're sharing for the first time mm. something that happened to them when they were eight. Mm. We, we have to think about that because what has he been doing for 30 years, which is about a generation, he's been wrecking havoc in everybody's life mm. that's vulnerable to him, trying to sort out who he is. Again, not allowed to be his authentic self, which yeah. means sharing about his experiences, right? Being forced to lock that down and carry it. So we know men, like people in general, but women, again, being able to express what they experience with men locking. We, we experience trauma like women experience trauma. Mm -hmm. yeah. But what do we do with it? So for us, a lot of the work is around what we call promoting healthy manhood. You know, a lot of us in this space today having those comments, you know, using those same terminology, but really helping men to be their whole self versus a role self, right? Mm. Uh, really helping them to define, well, what does that even mean for me to be my whole self, W-H-O-L-E versus a role self, R-O-L-E, right? That's part of our work. Creating space for men who have influence. I, I put most of my energy into men like you, Justin. Men who have influence over other men. 
because men, these men need to hear other men speaking and modeling and normalizing what we're talking about. Right. Normalizing is it? Yeah, right normalizing. Yeah, we got to normalize. And making it cool. Yeah, yeah. it has to be cool, yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened with. I mean, is happening with 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 feminism. I mean, I remember being a women's studies major, and you know, not when I was asked like by even a taxi driver, like, "What do you study?" I was like social sciences like i wouldn't mm-hmm. even say it because <laughs> right. it would turn right. into a debate right yeah. it would turn into mm. why like don't don't you care about men why do you hate men and and i you know and this is the the big tension for me as as a woman is is that i wanted to be cool and i want men to talk about this but i also <laughs> in the same way that it must be super annoying for, uh, you know, people of color to watch white people give themselves cookies for talking about racism. Um, yeah. And, and this is just me asking you for personal advice at this point. Like, how do I make sure that, that I'm, and, and, and I think it even bothers some people who follow me or who like my work, who think that I'm just giving cookies men for doing the bare minimum, mm-hmm. right? Or that these men are now using it for clout to, to, and really to continue, I think, in the patriarchal mm-hmm. uh, learnings that, that, that brought us here in the first place. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of folks are talking, in some respect, you're, you're leaning into allyship, yeah. right? And there's practicing allyship versus performative allyship, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, and then that we're always aspiring our lives because you never arrive. Mm. You're always learning, right? Nobody like arrives. So, you know, so you don't you don't graduate from allyship mm. school. You're always learning, you know, and it's very important that you're practicing that is not just performative. Performative could just be an example of lift service, right? Practicing is how you showing up, what's mm. the real, the real deal, and that. There's no graduation. So for us as men, right, there's no graduation. We don't get to a point where we got it, yes. you know, and then, uh, we don't, then we don't need the lizards of the world to sit at the table with us and be in the comments. No, no, we got it. There's, there's no, it just the, just thinking about that, you can envision the damage, mm. right? Oh, yeah. that would come, And you've right? seen it and we can right. see that. Yeah. we've seen it. So yep. it's always learning, right, never arriving, you know, uh, is, 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 is just really, really important. But there's no such thing as humility in the man box. No, no. It's, it's really about power and control, man. Mm. I think we have to also, you had said what I heard you say really clear, because oftentimes well, well, what you just said about it wasn't cool for you to be a part of this and we wanted to be cool for men to talk about it, right? And you don't want to have to always be the one also to bring it up at the table. Mm-hmm. You had asked a question earlier regarding like what we don't do oftentimes in our podcast is mm-hmm. bring up black women. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is I'm, I'm uh, paralleling this to, to us being men, mm-hmm. but in the black world for me, I'm the black person on our set. I calculate almost every time how many times I've brought up something mm-hmm. about black people. Today we were in a, um, a table reading for something that we're doing. As I'm looking at it and watching and listening, I'm thinking, okay, how many times can I make a point about a black thing? Because I can't always be the black guy that's always pointing out black issues. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every time I walk through the world, it's always in my lens. But I have to monitor how many times I say something. Otherwise, I become that guy that nobody wants around. What I don't want for you is the same thing. For that you as a woman to always have to monitor how many times you make a point. Mm-hmm. 
what you're asking is for men to do it. Yeah. For us to bring it up. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, I can't always bring up black women. Mm -hmm. Y'all have to. Yeah. So I don't have to monitor every time, right? Yeah. And last thing I'm gonna say is, I don't care if somebody's performative or not for me as a black man. I don't care if you make me equal because it's the cool thing to do or because you care about me. Just pay me equally. Mm -hmm. Don't put me in prison. I don't care if men are also doing it to be cool, to lift up women. So long as they are lifted up, hopefully you'll get there in your heart. Hopefully your children will watch you do it, even if it's performative. And then they'll then in turn do it from their heart. Mm -hmm. So yes, we want our hearts to be aligned with our actions. But first for me, the actions are most important. I disagree. It, it's it's gaslighting. Like it's actually, I find it worse as I've talked about on this podcast, you know, to be subject to domestic violence from a man wearing a, this is what a feminist looks like t-shirt is worse. But that's not action. I'm not talking about talking about it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying do it. Do the work. Do whatever yeah, it means. Like keep your hands off a woman. Right, right. But but what I'm saying is like that's performative and that actually would have it was worse because he was wearing the well, shirt. But, but, well, <laughs> but, I would imagine though, right. hold in the middle, I would imagine that part of why you ended up with him was because mm -hmm. he led as yes, exactly. So, so exactly. It, so it's even more of a it's but, a double betrayal. But I but yeah. I but I actually Agreed. think but I yeah. see you're both right. Cause what I'm hearing you say is in the world, if you're posting on Instagram for likes and comments and for clout, you don't care. You don't care why you're talking about it. You don't care why you're you're having a a white people gathering and reading. Um, just have it. Just have it. Just yeah. do it. Just yeah. get your foot off my neck. I don't care what inspired you. Exactly. Get, off. get your foot yes. off my neck. And right. to Liz's point, it's and to that point, I hear that it, mm -hmm. it's worse yeah. for a woman uh, if she enters a relationship with a man who's posing and doing it for the wrong reasons because she let her guard down and thought she was safe. And so, yes. Very yeah, yes. Well yeah. Very well. So put. you're both right. There's different situations, and I, I, and I actually, you know, look. There's. It's very frustrating. I see both. I mean, when I heard mm -hmm. about that story, it infuriated me. Yeah. And at the same time, and then makes you. I can. I can imagine for you, it just makes you trust us even less. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, once that happens to you, it's which one of these male feminists mm -hmm. is gonna abuse me next. And then, how, and then it's like, well, you know, and I can imagine as a black person, that's what it's like for you. It's like, which one of my friends who is my friend is actually a racist? Yeah, that's why I'm making a distinction between just lip service. Right. I don't yeah. mean that. Sure, I don't sure, mean sure. like putting on a facade, like pretending to be something. Yes. I'm saying whatever the action is um, that needs to happen, that needs to change, we need that action to happen. Now, whether you or not just want you are full-hearted in it or not, while you're learning, because we have never mm -hmm. arrived. So I can't say that I stand for women because I've completely arrived. I have not. I'm still stumbling all the time. But I can say that I recognize it needs to be changed. And I imagine that Liz says to me, who you know who I care about you, Jamie, while you're continuing to soar and get better, also fucking do the laundry. <laughs> you do, do the changes yeah. that you can yeah. do. Do yeah. these changes. Tony, what do you think? Well, that's part of the journey. I mean, you do the work while you're changing because you never yeah. arrive and, you never, and you're never perfect. So... Yeah. The work is the work, mm -hmm. you know, and the journey is, is your journey. And I can appreciate when you said about Liz and and, and being with men. Uh, it's is really a, a precarious situation, man, that is really difficult to digest. Though I do die, understand it as a black man that, you know, women live in community with us. They love us. They live in partnership with us in concert with us, 
and then they have to protect themselves from us all at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's some wild psychosis <laughs> shit when you really allow yourself to think about it, mm -hmm. to, to love us, partner with us, live in concert with us, in community with us, take care of us, and protect themselves from us all at the same time. Be fearful of us. That, that, that's a lot. That's a lot to manage. Thank you. Uh, and, I, and I think about when you said that, my thought was, so I was raised with a white mom, and I love them, and I protect them, and I do all these things, and I had to protect myself too. Mm -hmm. But my sister, who was a black woman, who had to do this love and protect and honor and all these things that women do and also had to protect herself, um, not just from white supremacy, but also from men. And so if, if we want to stay centering black women for the moment, if we don't do more than what we're doing right now in this conversation, as cool and glorious as this conversation is, mm -hmm. It's still just performative. Yeah. Thank you. Right? Yeah. It's like, what what are going to be the actions, right? Uh, for you, for, for all of us, right? Uh, what are we actually going to be doing or are we doing? Because having a conversation might be enlightening to some of the listeners. Some of the men might be thinking about it. Even but to it, ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say it's all performance. So there's some work there because actually by virtue of us having the conversations, there are listeners that might make some changes in their lives, right? But still for us, is the conversation enough, right? And so what are what does that look not, like? So Tony, can you guide us a little bit into and for our listeners and for us? What are what are actionable steps that well, make this not performative? Well, I don't see any black women here. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thing. That's how you do I it. I don't see no black women here. And uh, we can ask ourselves, see, that's that invisibilizing that I was talking about also earlier. It's very easy to invisibilize them because in this race construct that's not only male dominating, white male dominating and anti-black, you have to be intentional mm -hmm. because we are all within the fabric of this construct. And so if we're just going about our business being good people doing the right thing in, in our mind and in many, many respects in our lives, we will continue to have spaces like your workplace, right? Mm -hmm. Because And you're doing good work. You're good to people. You're a beautiful human being. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you just kind of do what you're doing. But you got to be intentional, mm -hmm. right, in order to really uh, do this thing where you're centering the experience of black women. You gotta be intentional, and at times it could be overwhelming because you gotta show up every and day. And it might take a little longer. To, it's gonna take, take time, but you gotta continue to show up, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and be very, very intentional. You gotta go against the grain of how many so many things are set up. You got interns, right? Well, some of your interns, it's very easy for them to be here because the construct has taken care of them that, you know, they, they don't have to worry about where the next dollar is coming from. They got, they're situated financially. They don't have to have a paid job. They can mm -hmm. volunteer. Well, you know, many black women, that's not their experience. If mm -hmm. you want me to, not only is it not their experience to be able to financially do it, 
They've been doing this shit, <laughs> you know, from the time we've been at the shores. Nursing white women's children, raising their children, doing shit for free, forced labor, but still at the end of the day for free. So you're not going to get many black women that's going to come in your space and do anything without being paid, right? And pay me well. I'm not doing that 67 cents to a dollar. Pay me well. Mm -hmm. And then you got other folks that say, look, I'm free. I'm available, right? And so how do you negotiate all of that? You got to be intentional mm. in order to really uh, to really break through these norms of this construct, man. You got to be intentional. And it's not just diversifying the space. Mm -hmm. That's important. But multiculturalism in of itself doesn't disrupt the power imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to, what does that mean for, for us, for you as an organization, right? Disrupting a power imbalance is really at, you know, when we talk about, it's not just about equality, it's also about equity, you know? Uh, so you got to put time in. Just the same mm -hmm. way you have over the years, Justin, you really put time in to understanding you know, what violence against women and girls is about. And, 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 you know, and we know that to counter that is to increase healthy manhood. You put time in, and I've watched you over the years, very intentional in how you live your life in these spaces and what you do, you know. And, and, and in the beginning, we have to be kind of robotic with it. We have to even think before we speak until it becomes a part of us, and now we become more instinctive and it's just who we are and we can mm. just be right there's like a journey there well it's the same journey man you know because that whole journey of promoting healthy manhood uh is was a journey and has been a journey around dealing with a male dominating society mm. right but now it's about dealing with a white male dominating society and what's the role of white supremacy culture and what's the role of anti-blackness in that? So, you know, it's like just digging in. I don't know if it's starting again because I be all over because I believe the journey you're on is going to really support the continuation of that journey. So it's not a lot about starting all over necessarily because you're already wide open. It's really about pushing through and continuing the journey, but you got to be intentional if you if you just. It's, it's not a it's, it, it's no space to rest or the room to relax because mm -hmm. this construct is in, is it's coming at us in every direction right you mm -hmm. got to be intentional like I I've seen uh, I think uh, maybe one of the people here might be an intern or something went and got some coffee or something for folks yeah it's no fucking black women to go get you no coffee that ain't happening that ain't happening you know. Don't do it. Don't think about it. I already know you know it ain't happening. Mm -hmm. And so how intentional will you? Because you got to look at our entire history and experience uh, when you're thinking about having us in your space, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so, you know, you look at the, the characteristics of white supremacy culture, one of them that white people are grounded in knowingly or unknowingly is a right to comfort. Yeah. Mm. You know, is a right to comfort. And uh and what what does that mean, you know, that how, that my you know my space being comfortable. You know, what what is the space that's most comfortable mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. right? And is this right to comfort? 
All right. So you you talk, uh, uh, Jamie, about how you constantly show up in the space and representing blackness. And, and do I want to talk about it? Do I feel like talking about it? And all of that. That's challenging your comfort in some respect. Uh, but then there's other folks that might be just going about their day and it's cool. I love my work. I love my workplace. I know what you do and you do fabulous work. But that right to comfort, how do we challenge that comfort? How do we, and you've done it with, as far as the manhood thing, we've all done it, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're in spaces now with men where we're not comfortable. They're not comfortable with us. You know what I mean? And I, I actually believe the change that we want to see in our work around manhood, the action happens when we are no longer comfortable. Like we get on this journey as men that doesn't mean we're kind of performative. We're not doing a lot, but we're learning. And then we get to this place where I am no longer comfortable mm -hmm. with what's going on in my space and with me. I believe that's when action actually mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I believe it would be the same here to some mm -hmm. respect. Mm -hmm. When you get to a place of discomfort that you're no longer okay with the experience of black and brown women... Mm -hmm. When we're no longer comfortable, that's where growth mm -hmm. happens. And I want to specifically uh, call out Rachel Ricketts, who's an incredible black woman who does workshops about this. Mm -hmm. the, she centers the comfort of uh, people of color and particularly women of color in the workshop. And it was the first time in my life that I was in a room where my comfort wasn't prioritized. And we so should have, we everyone should, have her on the show. should go, she should come on the show 100%. Yeah. Uh, you can go by her book, you can do her workshops. Um, she is incredible at teaching this, yeah. not just talking about it, but actually making people go through it. Um, and to, and you know, to anyone listening, just for some perspective, you know, I asked the question and I asked the question full well knowing that there might be an uncomfortable answer. And the answer was uncomfortable. And, you know, for, for those of you listening, I'm listening, I'm here, but that doesn't mean that there was a part of my brain that was like, but, 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 and, but, 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 and no, the answer is no, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, when you look out into this group of people that are here, there are no black women. So it doesn't matter. Nothing matters except that action, which is what we're talking about. So in the event, and I'm just saying that because it's not easy to sit and listen when you know you have room to improve. And I guarantee whether you are a woman or man or a trans or person listening to this, there's going to be an area and a time in your life where you're going and hopefully you will ask a question that says, what are the steps? What's next? Whether you're in a relationship or not. And I hope that you can practice silencing that voice in your head that thinks that you need to say something because at the end of the day, the growth only comes from listening and taking accountability and acknowledging that there's room to improve. And I absolutely believe there's room to improve. And I, uh, and I thank you for, for um, putting me in my comfort. Uh, I think second you too. priority. Mm -hmm. I thank you too, brother. Hey, and I'm speaking about myself, man, as well. My mouth ain't no prayer book. I'm doing my damnness on a day-to-day -day basis to do just this, center the experience of black women. And it's a challenge. And some of it scares me at times, mm. you know, because I, I can, you know, 
do something or say something and I feel like I might lose a funder or, mm. you know, I have staff, which means, you know, I have a lot of staff, which means I have families that I feel responsible for, you know, uh, and, you know, as far as their, you know, maintaining employment and things of that nature. And there are times I'm nervous about positions I take, you know, yeah. uh, there's times I know I'm really, really pushing the envelope here and, it's gonna come back and bite me in the butt. And if it bites me in the butt, then it's biting everybody that I'm responsible for in the butt. And so that makes me nervous, you know? Uh, it makes me nervous. But I'm trying today, which I, you know, I remember my history in this work, choosing my battles at time, you know, because just too damn tired to be banging heads with men all the time. So kind of choosing my battles. Mm. And I'm trying to do this work today in respect to centering the experience of black women by not choosing my battles, by taking them all on. And that's, that frightens me. Mm. It frightens me because, and I, it, mm. it is scary. So for not for one minute uh, do I sit here in this conversation like I'm the authority who has arrived. As I'm challenging you all, I'm actually challenging us because yes. I can do better, man. Mm. Even with what I'm doing, I can do better. I know I can do better. But see what you just did there. And again, I, I just want to go back to anybody who's listening is this is the thing that I think we miss, which is what a call to men is founded on is this belief of calling men in versus calling men out. And we miss that because we live in a culture where we just love calling people out. We just want everybody to be wrong and to fall mm -hmm. off of their pedestals, self-imposed or public pedestals, whatever they are. And I appreciate you holding space for how I can and we can be better. And then also saying, but you're not the authority. You can be better. Mm -hmm. That's an invitation. That's something that, that invites me in and it makes me go, oh, wow. Okay. Damn, Tony Porter, 25 years. I'm a baby. I'm a newborn in this space. And if he is, is keeping himself accountable like that and he puts himself on my level, well, then I can do that too. Uh, we could go on forever, uh, but we have to wrap up, unfortunately, which feels like a crime, honestly, given uh, oh, wow. the wisdom Liz, you've given yep, us. Yep. Um, so we're going to do rapid fire questions. Welcome to this week's Man Enough podcast, Rapid Fire Questions. All right. When is the last time you cried? Uh, about five years ago. Whoa, whoa, Like whoa. tears actually running? Uh-huh. It's been a minute. Wow. Really? Wait, why? Now my heart bleeds, but you know what? I have to work on actual tears. There's like a conditioning in me that will crocodile those tears up mm. instead of letting them just run down my face. That's one mm. of my growth curves. Oh, mm. I know. Yeah. There's some history to that, too. Mm. Yeah. At least you can acknowledge that, mm -hmm. though. Yeah. I was right. watching a movie with my kids. They see me start crying, and they got scared. Wow. It's a stupid movie, too, man. Which one was it? I forget the movie with Billy Crystal and whatnot when, I don't know. Groundhog Day? No. Billy Crystal? No. Oh, 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 <laughs> Isn't he? Oh. When Harry met Sally? No, I know they was on a raft going down the water, right? And and one of them fell off the raft. And City he, Slickers? Maybe that was City it. Slickers, He man. reached in and grabbed his arm and he said, I got you, man. Uh, it was a stupid oh. ass scene. All he said, he was like on the bank. He reached in and got him because they had fell off the raft. And he grabbed his arm. He said, don't worry, I got you. Wow. And that was it. That shit that, touched my heart, yeah. man. <laughs> I started crying. But, you know, I don't know. 
I cry, but I don't shed a lot of tears. Mm. Okay. You know, tears, I'm sure you know this, Tony, but tears contain stress hormones. I didn't know that. I know they they're found, cleansing, but yeah, I didn't there know. was a, there was a study done. Yeah, I think it was I think it was Doctor Townsend. I might screw this up in the eighties, and he found they measured tears, and in the tears specifically of, of children, um, but adult tears as well, they contain stress hormones that our body is releasing. So yeah. tears are literally cleansing. cleansing us. That I knew. I didn't know what the ingredients was, but I know tears are cleansing, and I know that's not something that I've done well throughout my entire life. Mm. We gotta get you to watch one of our movies. That'll, that'll do <laughs> oh, it yeah. All right, when's the last time you apologized? Oh, I, I don't know when, but I do it on such a regular basis, <laughs> I probably could say yesterday. No, all right, okay. What are you afraid of, Tony? Uh, I think a lot about my mortality. I think a lot about my time spent with my children, how much time I'm going to have with my children, grandchildren. On one hand, I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm afraid of not being with them. I mm. want to be with them. I don't want them going away from me. I love being with them, them around me. That frightens me. Mm. Not having my children close to me frightens me. Mm. Mm. Sweet. Wow. Mm. Uh, you you have a uh, you have a time machine. You get to go back. Mm -hmm. You get to go be with little Tony. What do you whisper in his ear? As a kid, I was a scary kid. I, I fronted a lot. I grew up around a lot of gang violence, street violence, a lot of stuff like that, and I pretended a lot uh, to not be afraid. But I was scared all the time. So I, I guess if I went back and talked to little Tony, I would probably tell him he doesn't have to be afraid, that mm. there is a better way, there's going to be better experiences in his life, that he's going to be okay, that he that he could be authentic, that he does not have to pretend. I spent a lot of years in my younger years not being who I am. Mm. This is intense, man. <laughs> Nobody told right, me this was part of the deal. Hey. Let's fast forward now. Many more years. You're at uh, a ghost at your own funeral. And you got your family there. You got your friends there. You got all those people that you've touched in your life there. Maybe maybe someone that you've actually stepped on their toes. They're all there. And uh, what would you hope you might hear from, from them? What they might say about you? How you lived your life? I be thinking about this shit, man. I told you I'm already struggling yeah. with mortality, so what you're talking about, I'd be thinking about my funeral, man. All right, tell us. You know, uh, I clown a lot with my kids. I'm an agitator, mm. and I always got them going. I know how to pit them against each other, and then they realize they're pitted against each other. And, you know, when I got, I just do things to them all the time. We have a group text where we're talking Practical every day. all the time. And uh, I, I, was, I was thinking about this the other day, that at, at, at my funeral I can hear my kids telling jokes about me and what I've done and, and how I've done it to them. And, you know, I, I, I think about uh, who may come from out of town to be there because, mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of folks in my life nationally. And will they come? Will they be there? You know, I, I'll, you know. Even in a, because I'm, I'm a pretty humble person, 
but I had this grandiose thing going on with me with my funeral, you know, it's like, cause mm. in, in, I live in Charlotte and you know, funerals are just one hour. I'm like saying, I was saying, well shit, that ain't gonna be enough time, man. <laughs> gonna need a little more time because you know, I got people that want to come be with me and they, they want to have something to say. <laughs> but I really think about my kids. I know they're going to be sad, but they're going to be telling some jokes, man. All right. Mm. Mm. I love that. And finally, what does it mean for you to be man enough? To stand in that gap, man, I, I think I shared this earlier. For me to be man enough, because I know enough, Right. I don't have permission, you know, to be on remote control. I don't have permission to be mm. in a role. I know enough, and I know what showing up really means, you know. And uh, to push myself, you know, because I could show up to a certain extent and look fabulous, and I know it ain't enough. So mm. for me to be man enough, a lot of what we was talking about today black women and how I'm showing up and to really, you know, f address my fears even in that space of, of mm. where I can, I can show up and be, it could be beautiful and I know I can still do more. And I know what stopped me from still doing more was those fears, mm. you know. Uh, mm. I still got work mm. before I'm going to say I'm man enough. Mm. Oh, you know, I still got yes. a lot of mm, And we also that. have an audience question from Dean Deanka, 89. What would you have wanted to learn as a teenager to make you stronger as an adult? What would I have wanted to learn as a teenager that would have made me stronger as an adult? Uh, I had a fast teenage life. And my first child when I was 19. I've allowed, particularly with my youngest son, because he's gotten the best of me in respect to my older kids. I have six kids. My two youngest have the best of me. I've, I've allowed my son to not be forced to be a man uh, until he's ready to be a man. Hmm. I was forced to be a man quickly. Mm -hmm. Most men I know, we didn't have, you know, like my son was a big old goofy kid for a long time and I embraced that and allowed that mm -hmm. and I didn't force him to be fall victim to what we say men have to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and now he's 22, 23 tomorrow actually, and he's still finding his way and I'm right by his side, and that's okay. With me, you know, I was 17 and I was in the army. You know, he's 22 and fine, 23 tomorrow, and he's still finding his way, and I'm right alongside of him, and it's okay, and we're on this journey together. Mm. I wish I had that when mm. I was a kid. Oh, man, I'm going to take that. Yeah. My son just started college first year this year, and I needed to hear that. I appreciate that. Well, Tony Porter, you are... Even if you don't want to admit it, even if you're not ready for it, you are man enough. And I so appreciate you mm -hmm. uh, admitting that you're not. 
Yeah. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you. Thank you. Will you but please come back and hang out with us yes. again, man? Yes, we gotta get we gotta get Ted. We gotta get Ted Bunch. We gotta get Ted Bunch on as well. Oh, Tony, the, uh, the other the other half of a culture. That'd, that'd be great to have him come out. Yeah. One of my favorite people. Yeah, uh, thank you, too. brother. I appreciate it. I love you. I love you too, man. Yes, sir, my man. Yes, sir. If you like this conversation. Uh, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Go to manenough.com slash podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. This is Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Kerry Rathode from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kahea Kiwaha is our producer. Brandy Cole is head of marketing. Susie Landers O'Connell is our assistant editor. And Josh Schneider is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.